Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. You know, I'll admit, I don't always know what I'm talking about when it comes to tax and audit. And what I love is that our listeners tell us this, right? We get feedback from our listeners about when we're off the mark. And I literally have an email in my inbox that says, miss the mark on Gusto PPP data. (laughs) This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClockChart. Now more than ever, your clients with teams in the field are looking to reduce contact and automate their manual paperwork processes. The team at ClockShark has been busy scrambling to keep up with demand by helping accountants move clients from frustrating paper timesheets to their much-loved mobile time tracking app. Even with this increased demand, ClockShark continues to provide fast and delightful support. They're actively working with accountants and bookkeepers to implement product feedback and improvements to their already robust app that includes features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing, locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting. To try the timesheet app that's taken over the title for best customer support, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clockshark. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Cinder. If you've ever tried to get your clients Stripe, Square, or PayPal transactions into QuickBooks or Xero, you've probably pulled your hair out a few times trying to get income and fees recorded correctly so that the deposit amounts match the bank statement so you can reconcile. Did you know that you could be using Cinder to automatically do this for you? Cinder can auto-categorize these transactions, adding additional data like classes and locations, and accurately post them into the accounting system. Cinder also enables your clients to receive online credit card payments using the payment service of their choice, while trusting it won't create any additional tracking overhead. If you need support, Cinder offers free help using your favorite means of communication, be it chat, email, or phone. To try out Cinder for free, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Cinder. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-Y-N-D-E-R. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. Blake, another week has gone by. We're, We're almost at the end of 2020. What a year it has been. I feel like it's just gone like... Next, you know, it's Saturday. I'm recording with Blake. Then it's Saturday. I'm recording with Blake. Like in a blink of an eye, it's Saturday again. The whole year. I mean, you're one of the, the exact consistent things of this year for me because the rest of the year has just been unpredictable and chaotic. But like every weekend, I know I'm going to have an hour with Blake. That's true. This has been the one consistent thing in my life because I've, I've relocated. I've moved. <laughs> I feel like this year has been really long, actually, because of so much change. And I'm kind of looking forward to putting it behind us. It's been emotionally long, but I feel like it flew by enough, like a snap, but it's been emotionally very long. It's been a decade of emotional. (laughs) So we didn't get any typical reviews this week, but we did get an awesome mention in CPA Practice Advisor. I was really excited to see this. Yeah, CPA Practice Advisor went and reviewed the top podcasts in accounting. And Cloud Accounting Podcast is right there. Recommended by Nick Pascarosa, founder and CEO of Bookkeeper 360, as well as Donnie Shimamoto, CPA, Enterprise Technologies. And and I think uh, there was one other recommendation from Casey Johnson uh, at CPA.com. 
thank you so much guys for for recommending us uh, to CPA practice advisor and thus to like all these all these potential listeners. Joshua Lance as well. So basically they went and they interviewed people in our profession, accountants and bookkeepers, and they asked them who their favorite podcasts were. And unfortunately, uh, CPA practice advisor did not link to us, which would be like us putting them in our show notes, but not actually putting the link. Like you got to put in links. We're on the internet. It would be really helpful. So none of the podcasts they list, there's a link to. <laughs> so you can't just click and then subscribe to that podcast. You're going to have to go search for it and then subscribe to the podcast. I don't understand that. Anyway, I loved some of these other podcasts mentioned. I think we should call them out because they're really good. Obviously, The Soul of Enterprise by Ed Kless and Ron Baker is a, is a big one in our profession, recommended by Hector Garcia there. Khalil Merhib from CPA.com, he recommended The Journal by The Wall Street Journal, which is my favorite podcast, period. Like, it's so good. Even better than like Planet Money and... Yes, because Planet Money is fun. And, you know, the indicator from Planet Money, they're fun podcasts, but the journal is covering whatever is the biggest news in money, business, and power. And they do it like, the show is out all the time. They do it with Gimlet Media, so it's like a real big production, and it's excellent. The best stuff from the Wall Street Journal on that podcast. I noticed that uh, Michael Whitmire, the CEO at Flowcast, recommended his own podcast, Blood, Sweat, and Balance Sheets by Michael Whitmire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I've been guilty of that myself. Uh, I was interviewed for this article too, and I recommended Ryan Lozanis' Future Firm Accounting. Uh, But I also made sure that I I mentioned that I like to share what I learned from Ryan on my own podcast. (laughs) I mean, you got to do a little bit of self-promotion, right? Yeah, I think they didn't They didn't come and ask me because I've, I've really listened to almost everybody's podcast that are here. Um, Ed Zollaris has an amazing tax podcast. Yes. It, it's amazing and not amazing. Like the sound quality is never really great. Uh, if you click on the show notes, the artwork sometimes is wrong, but his content is so good and, and it's the way he delivers it because it's he goes really into like tax decisions that were made in courts that week. But it's just – it's really – I'm not a tax guy and it's just easy to listen to. I like it a lot. I think it's really uh, completely underrated and unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people listen to it because it's not marketed well. But it's a, it's a good one. So, one last thing I want to mention about this article that I loved is, is Donnie Shimamoto's actually comment about our, our show, which I'll read here. He said, David and Blake provide some good infotainment with the news in the bookkeeping segment of our profession, but often when they venture into tax and audit, they are quite off mark. So, just remember that they both come from the bookkeeping and small firm perspective when listening to the podcast. So, Donnie- I'm I, allowed to be off the mark. I'm not a CPA. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I I guess I, so. I love uh, Donnie's honest assessment, and you know I'll admit I don't always know what I'm talking about when it comes to tax and audit. And what I love is that our listeners tell us this. Right, we get feedback from our listeners about when we're off the mark. And I literally have an email in my inbox that says, "Miss the mark on Gusto PPP data." <laughs> and this is from Chris. Uh, Chris Nakeen of Wayfinder CPA, and I want to read this for you. It says, Hey, Blake, in the latest episode, you mentioned the Gusto PPP research data. It seems you interpreted it to mean that only 224,000 jobs were saved in that data set with PPP because that was the drop-off in jobs after PPP money ran out. I believe this is a flawed interpretation. Businesses were back open in a much greater capacity once the PPP money ran out. So it's not apples to apples comparison to jobs that would have been lost during the period that many businesses were shut down. I enjoy the show. Regards, Chris. I guess another way to think about it is that the fact that 
only 224,000 jobs went away after the PPP money ran out means that it worked. And I think the problem is we just don't have enough data. And I'll admit, I may have been a bit biased about the PPP after the whole rollout we covered, right? Because that was, I think everybody agrees the rollout of PPP was not ideal. But there is, you know, a, a lot of positivity about it now that the money has gotten out. We also got a voicemail on that topic that I want to share with you from Mel Comer. Hey, guys, David Blake. It's Mel Comer. I'm a huge, huge fan of the show. Never, ever, ever miss an episode. I just wanted to say thank you so much for your continued excellent coverage of the PPP program uh, and also to share my perspective from the trenches on your favorite topic. We help many of our clients at Profit Link this spring and summer with their loans, and the amounts range from 50K to 850K. And I can honestly report back that each of these loans made a significant business, a significant difference uh, to the business. Now, while the attention-grabbing headlines that you talked about cast doubt on the success of the programs, you know, for example, Tom Brady's company, TB12, got a 960K loan or an MIT study calculated that the employment was boosted by only 2.3 million jobs, which led them to calculate that the cost per job saved was 224K, which sounds crazy. Um, I'm not convinced those are the right things to focus on. The loans my small and medium-sized business clients received enabled them to remain viable this spring and summer. And while most haven't increased their headcount, maybe even lost a person or two along the way, the point is that the other five or 10 or 50 people on their payroll still have their jobs. So maybe a better metric is looking at how many people remain employed in businesses that received loans than just looking at how many jobs were added by those businesses. That's it for me, guys. Uh, keep up the good work. Love your show. Bye. I think it's a very good point, And that goes back to what I said last week. All the payroll companies together should come out with a a 2020 employment report of some type that really covers employment across America and we can really judge this program properly. The thing that hurts my brain is that we just don't have data on this. And like for something where we spent so much money, I would love to see a definitive report saying, here's how many jobs were saved and here's what that cost. And we just don't know because like, the program was not designed to collect the data. And I guess that's my, my big complaint. Uh, thank you so much, Mel, for that insight. It's Great to hear. And in corresponding with Chris, whose email I mentioned, he said in, an, in a follow-up email, we went back and forth a little bit talking about this. I think we just disagree on the economic recovery aspect, perhaps due to the bias of what's near to us. In my firm, the clients that were most impacted were businesses such as doctors, dentists, hair salons. They were severely impacted for about two months, but then back to 80 to 100%. And for those kind of businesses... That totally makes sense that PPP would have been very successful and very helpful. So I think it, it depends on like what kind of businesses you're serving. If, if you are serving the businesses that shut down for that covered period and then were able to get back up and running in your part of the country, then the PPP program seems very successful. So it looks like though, Blake, you're going to get more tracking on this available because Mnuchin this week has reproposed a new bill plan to offer $916 billion COVID-19 relief. I feel like right after the election, right before the election, both sides were pretty far apart again. And and I almost feel like Mnuchin was rolling it the other way. Like, we're not going to propose anything. It's just done. Mm -hmm. And now it feels like even before uh, the swearing in of Biden, they're going to try to get a deal done still, even before the end of the year. It's going to include more PPP money, PPP 2.0. And I think the difference this time is that it's going to be 
limited to businesses that can show that they suffered a decline in revenue. And the the number I saw was 30%. I don't know if that's changed. So if you if you suffered a decline of 30% in revenue or more, then you can get another round of PPP. Yeah, it looks like this uh, also includes the $600 uh, credit for each adult and $600 per child. So there's going to be another stimulus check. Uh, there's also the unemployment benefits are being extended out. So even if you've exceeded your 13 weeks, which at this point, if we're at nine months, like people have exceeded their 13 weeks. So that's going to all allow to be extended. The other interesting thing is there's actually money being set aside in parts of the bill. So that way, schools, um, small businesses will not be held um, liable for protections. So if you're a small right, business right. and somebody gets sick at your restaurant and they catch COVID, you're not going to be sued out of business. I think that is super, super important. You can't expect these businesses to be operating under the threat of lit- litigation because somebody got COVID at their at their establishment. I mean, it's just we're a very litigious society as it is. That doesn't need to be something you have to worry about. So anyway, just to put a bow on that, thank you so much, Chris and Mel and um, Donnie for your feedback, keeping us honest. If you ever want to give us feedback and let us know what you think, you can always connect with us on social media and send us emails. Um, but honestly, the best way to do it to make sure we definitely see it is, David? The easiest way is going to be Apple Podcast. Or if you're not an Apple person, you can just use Podchaser. It's podchaser.com. Go to the Cloud Accounting Podcast and you can write a review there. Give us your feedback in your review. And that way we won't miss it. And uh, it also helps the show, helps get the word out. We really appreciate it. Uh, So speaking of people in the trenches, we had some news about a large firm uh, and their new CEO. Yeah. So uh, down here in Tucson, Beach Fleischman, which is Arizona's uh, biggest public firm, they promoted a new CEO, Eric Myshak. And what's interesting about this is he comes from marketing. So he was the chief marketing officer. Wow. Has that ever happened before? That's amazing. There's just a teeny small group of non-CPA heads that are leading mid-sized to large firms. But this goes back to kind of what we were talking about early in the year. A lot of CFOs now are being promoted at companies and they're not coming from accounting. accounting. Yeah, because the skills that you need to be an executive are often very different than what you learn doing the work or in your accounting classes or finance classes. And so just because you're a really great CPA doesn't mean that you're going to be the best firm leader or executive or C-suite executive. And there's there's a lot of skills that you got to get somewhere else. There's this balance, obviously, that has to be struck between if you're a CPA firm, you know, how many CPAs are running the firm versus non-CPAs. I don't think you would want to get completely out of whack. You don't want the MBAs taking over completely, but I think there's a, a good balance to be struck. And so I think this this is a trend we're going to see more of, right? Because there have been very few non-CPA managing partners uh, in the past. You you actually might be able to be the CEO of another firm, Blake, one day because you're marketing uh, background. So my career my career ambition has been opened up here. So speaking of boots on the ground or people that are you know on the front lines here with with small business owners and doing the work, I don't know if you know this or not. This is the year of the extra paycheck. What? Apparently, the way the apparently every eleven to twelve years, the way the year, calendar year falls, there's a twenty seventh paycheck if you're bi weekly, and there's a fifty third paycheck if you're weekly payroll. And I read the article. This is actually on the Intuit Accountants Team blog. So this is the, the ProConnect. So it's the tax professionals blog. This wasn't on like an Intuit Payroll blog. It wasn't on a QuickBooks blog. And I read it, and it's 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 an interesting dilemma. But I'm not really sure what the solution is. Like maybe for you, Blake, if I'm on a salary, do you give me an extra paycheck, or do you just tell me to wait four weeks till the next paycheck? Sorry, I'm still trying to figure this out. So 
you said every 11 or 12 years. Yep. And 2020 is one of those. Of course, 2020 would be one of those years. <laughs> yeah, <right? exactly. laughs> like, yes, yes, yeah. There are 365 days in a year, but a biweekly payroll cycle presumes 364 days in a year because 26 times 14 is 364. And there's 366 in a leap year. So eventually the extra days catch up with the pay cycle, resulting in a 27th payday in a single year if you're on a biweekly schedule. So this is funny because I've been in the accounting profession for like a decade and I must have just missed it because I never, I've never seen this before. I had no idea this was a thing. I worked in payroll for five years at Intuit and I don't remember if this ever happening. So like the art, what do you do with the 53rd or 27th paycheck? How do you handle it? I don't see. Well, this is affecting everybody. So I'm yeah. surprised it's just a small little oddball article that nobody's talked about, but I would love for our listeners or somebody to say how they're handling this. Cause I, I could just see if you're being, if you're paying somebody's salary and you now you have to go to them like, Oh, by the way, I know I've been depositing money in your bank account every other week. Guess what? There's nothing going to be anything there this week. And you have to wait till the first paycheck of 2021 to have a paycheck. I just don't know if that's going to fly. Like what are people doing with this odd paycheck? Yeah. If you didn't prorate it across 27 paychecks instead of 26 for the year, the annual salary is not going to match up and they're going to have this four week gap before they get their next paycheck. Most people, unfortunately, are living paycheck to paycheck, even people on salaries. What are people doing? Thanks for bringing this up, David. Like, uh, This could boost the economy. (laughs) Everybody gets an extra paycheck this year. Maybe some of the apps that, you know, process payroll, these payroll apps have like already solved for this. Um, Well, I guess we'll find out. But I think that is a good lead into app news. Let's jump in. So the big headline grabbing news of the week that is really not much of a story is that Oracle is moving its headquarters from Silicon Valley to Austin, Texas. So to to paint a picture here, when you're driving in between the bottom of the bay, so Mountain View, and you're driving up to San Francisco, about halfway up, right before you get to the airport, if you look out to the east, it looks like a city. Are they shutting that whole thing down and moving everything to Austin? It doesn't sound like it. They're going to let people choose, but the headquarters itself is like no longer going to be Redwood City. It's going to be Austin and and that's where they're going to grow. Is this a sign of things to come? Or is more tech going to leave California? Like I left California personally. Um, you know, the, the pandemic is not making California exactly the greatest place to live. I just looked at home prices in my old neighborhood and they are up like insane amounts. I mean, you can't buy a home in the San Fernando Valley for uh, less than a million dollars now in many of the neighborhoods where people would live and then commute into the city proper, you have to go way out. It's nuts. And and all that has been driven up by two things, right? It's demand for homes because people don't want to be in apartments in a pandemic. And then also uh, the low interest rates and the easy money, which makes it possible for people to afford a more expensive home. So it's pushing people out. And then of course, I think a lot of you know conservative folks, more conservative folks, I think just people in general were not very happy with how California handled the pandemic. And we know that Larry Ellison at Oracle is a, a Trump supporter and Oracle is more conservative given, you know, they, they do a lot of business with big business and with uh, the government. So like, I can see why, you know, they might do this just because they don't like the direction of the state. But enough about that. Um, we got plenty of app news, so we got to keep moving on. I have something about Square. They're announcing that they're really pushing a little heavier into the beauty and wellness industry on their point of sale. So Square has their Square Register. 
And if you've noticed over time, it used to just be people's phones. Then it was just an iPad. Then they have the, it's more like a a two screen system, right? Where it's a slightly bigger screen on one side than a smaller screen for the customer on the other side. And now Square has, they even have a bigger one, this big Square register that has a big, huge 13 inch monitor on it decent sized thing. And so what they've done is they've always had a separate app they've had before called Square Appointments. And so if you were a salon or a yoga studio, right, or a tutor, people could book their appointments through this app. But the problem was, I think if you had Square's point of sale, I think you saw to have a laptop open up on your counter that had the calendar program in it. And so they've integrated that directly into the Square register now. So you can now view a heads up display of for all and then view the appointments for 20 staff members all on one screen right in the point of sale. You're not running a second device. You're not running, you know, you're not jumping around to get to data. It's just right there inside the cash register now, which is just going to make it. So if you're, if you're a square customer and you need a calendar booking app, you're probably just going to sign up for theirs now. Makes sense. Definitely a nice feature for those uh, service-based appointment-based businesses. So HubDoc owned by Zero has introduced a new feature that will make people happy. They now have duplicate document detection in HubDoc. So what does that mean? It means that if somebody uploads a receipt or an invoice with the same supplier date and amount as a document already uploaded, HubDoc will now highlight the duplicate and notify you that a duplicate has been detected. And then you can deal with it as you wish. Now, do they uh, append it as well if there's new data or slightly different data? It doesn't sound like it. So the just pure like duplicate detection, which is something that I'm kind of surprised they didn't have it yet because like Expensify does this very well. Auto Entry had it for about a year, maybe a year and a half. So there's an app that adds on to QuickBooks. It may connect to zero as well. It's called Greenback. And it, it really does more auto fetching. But the reason I'm bringing that up, what they do really cool, if they detect a transaction in your QuickBooks already, they'll append missing information. So let's say... Um, I got a receipt from Amazon and Amazon, I sent it auto entry and then auto entry put it in my QuickBooks already. Then mm-hmm. I sync with Greenback. Greenback will see that that already exists. And maybe Greenback will just add the image and some additional data from Amazon to the transaction. So so it's, ah. it's, it's almost like duplicate detection on steroids, which is really, really cool. If every app would just see if a transaction's there. And if that app has additional data, they can lend to the value of that transaction Go add your additional data. You don't have to overwrite the whole thing. That's really neat. Like that reminds me of something very common in marketing, which is CRM enrichment. So there are all these apps that you connect to your CRM and then it goes in and it fills in the missing information like uh, industry for your prospects and maybe their revenue, that sort of thing. That's a really neat thing that I think developers should be thinking about is how, not just how do we detect duplicates, but also how do we enrich the data that's in the accounting system to make it more useful? So there's the booking of that transaction, but then there's the like validation of it and, and the enrichment of it with whatever, like the receipt, like go fetch the receipt for me. Why should I have to remember to do that? Um, there's another feature that's like on the same wavelength here from Sage Intact. So Intact in November released, had their fourth release of 2020. They do, it looks like quarterly releases. And one of the features that stuck out to me was called General Ledger GL Outlier Detection. It's for their early adopters, which I assume is the people who have opted into beta features. So here's what this does. It includes artificial intelligence and machine learning and uses those to proactively catch journal errors. It, it looks at historical transactions in your GL and then evaluates transactions during the approval cycle 
and based on what you have done in the past, notifies approvers of transactions that don't match the regular pattern. So that's doing that data integrity, cleaning up, making sure that what's getting into the GL is accurate based on your historical trends. And, you know, in accounting, generally, like once you've booked a journal entry for, say, payroll, the ones after that are going to be pretty similar. So this is a great way to ensure that you didn't forget a line or something or, or mispost to the wrong account a particular item from the payroll report, just as an example. Yeah, because it's just using the previous transactions to move forward. I've seen some apps like that that, were, that have come out in the past for QuickBooks where they'll I think at the one time it was called like audit my books, but it, I don't know mm-hmm. if that was the best name because it implies the wrong thing. <laughs> but what it would do is you could you could set this app up and it would look for uh, duplicate check numbers. Like if you paid a bill twice, it would detect all these. Basically, it's human mistakes, right? Common human mistakes. It would detect mm-hmm. data in the data patterns and, and look for those and surface those up. But I, unfortunately, I think that app was like about eight years before its time. A little bit. It was uh, yeah. still in the QuickBooks desktop days. I think an app like that probably could exist just more efficiently and be more accurate and more up to date um, in today's world with online. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is an easy to use, full service payroll and HR software that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay includes the best-in-class integrations to benefit providers, workers' comp plans, QuickBooks, and Xero. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. With OnPay's newly released report designer, you can use enterprise-level data and over 50 data points to create multiple report views for all your client stakeholders, be it the C-suite, departments, or HR. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of top-rated OnPay payroll and HR service. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, nobody takes better care of your clients. So staying on the AI trend, VicAI, V-I-C dot AI, has launched Autopilot. They are calling it the Autonomous Accounting Solution. And when I first saw this headline, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, are they going to build a bot that takes our jobs? Although hopefully it will simply empower us to be more efficient. So what this Autopilot does is it intelligently selects invoices and expenses that meet a certain confidence level and automates them so they immediately get sent to the approvers without requiring any data entry or classification review by a human beforehand. This includes everything from vendor identification to cost and dimensional classifications on a line item detail. So I guess they're not only doing the uh, data entry or the uh, expense account assignment or, or whatnot, right? Assigning the account number. They're also adding in dimensions based on what has happened before and then assigning to the right approvers. And I assume this is using the algorithm that looks at what's been done in the past which kind of makes a lot of sense, right? Because once a bill gets entered in that system and it gets coded a certain way and sent to a certain set of approvers, it's probably going to go that way again. That's, yeah, correct. Yes. Unless it's, unless it's 2020 and it's an exception year, usually that's correct, yes. <laughs> Everything is going to usually go to that 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 manager or that department or once it's once it's flagged to that class. Or not only that, I'm sure like things like class and departments are even dependent upon the line item. That line item probably is always going to be in the same division, right? So I could see that. I could see the, the linear... Um, path of logic on this. BQE announced that they have now have a partnership. They're launching a new payment system for accounting firms. They partnered with 
AffiniPay. So AffiniPay, you may not know the name, but you probably have heard of LawPay. You've probably heard of CPA Charge. Oh, yeah, yeah. I right? know those. Um, hmm. And they have a payments product for associations and one for design pay. So now they're basically launching this for BQE. Ultimately, it's so now you're in BQE, you need merchant service, you need to take payments remotely. So you can do your credit card, your ECH, all from BQE and let your customers pay you. You don't have to set up something else with somebody else. So it's built in merchant services, basically into a smaller niche app in a way. BQE is the practice management solution that I'm using for my professional services firm. I track my time, I create my invoices, I I track the work, all that stuff, right? So in the past, um, the actual payment was separate. So I had to go out and like charge somebody you know, using another app. Now it's integrated into the solution. And it makes sense too, because like BQE really, they're, you know, they're professional services. So they have engineering firms. They have a lot of lawyers that use BQE. You have accountants that use it for their firms. So it makes sense to partner with them because this company handles lawyers getting paid properly. They handle CPA charge properly. So it's a, it really makes a lot of sense for a partnership like this. Speaking of fintech, Revolut, Europe's 5.5 billion digital bank, one of those apps that's a bank, They are talking about how they broke even in November, even in the pandemic. The CEO, Nick Saransky, said to CNBC that they saw a 40% dip in revenues in the early days of the pandemic, but they are now 50% ahead in terms of revenues compared to pre-COVID levels. And I think that demonstrates the, the impact the pandemic has had in switching people's behavior, getting them off of traditional banking. They don't want to go into branches, getting them to sign up for new accounts in an app. And the fact that Revolut has those payments that we've talked about integrated now, I think is helping them, right? They're basically like the square cash of Europe. And they're coming here too, right? They are here. They're here now. Um, I don't, I've not came across any accounts or bookkeepers that have clients that are using Revolut yet. Be on the lookout. There's just so many that are coming to market. Yeah. I mean, I did install the cash app to my phone finally, mm-hmm. and I did send one transaction through Cash App, but I can't have a $100 balance on 12 different apps. It gets a little <laughs> crazy to keep track of. I mean, I got PayPal, I got Venmo, I get Cash App. I probably have some other app I'm not even thinking about on my phone that I have some oddball balance in just trying to experience these apps, but I can't keep opening you know, about 500 bank accounts at all these little companies. Gusto has expanded its people advisory certification program. I was really excited when this launched. Will Lopez is is leading this program over at Gusto uh, for accountants, teaching them how to integrate payroll and HR advisory services into their offerings. The news is that they are now partnering with cpaacademy.org to provide four CPE credits to accountants who complete their Gusto people advisory certification. So if you are looking for CPE at the end of this year, and you've got some time over Christmas. I know a lot of us tend to get our CPE done when we've got our uh, holidays uh, and we are downtime. Uh, go ahead and check this out. You get four hours and I know it's going to be good because it is from Gusto and from uh, Will Lopez. All apps should probably think about that. If they're doing any training for accounts or bookkeepers, figure out how to partner with somebody so you can offer CPE credit. Yes. That way the account or bookkeepers, it's just an efficient use of their time. They're killing two birds with one stone. They're, they're learning about your app, which... They wanted to do anyways, but then they get their CP credit and they're not having to chase it some other fashion down the road. So remember uh, two weeks ago or so, we started talking about these super apps, these uh, like uh, these apps in China, the uh, WePay or these the mm. chat app, but then you shop on the app and you bank on the app. Yeah, WeChat. We, it was WeChat, yeah. And so you have these apps that are coming out like that. Well, so WhatsApp just rolled out. It's called Carts. And they rolled that out to their business app. What was interesting about this article that was on uh, Inside Retail Asia was about 175 million people around the world message on business inside the WhatsApp product. 
how many people? 175 million around the world. Wow, that's send a, a message every day. Yeah. Every day. So is this something accounts and bookkeepers now need to figure out like, how do I, do I got to get on WhatsApp and put my business profile on WhatsApp now as well and interact with customers there and possibly allow them to pay me there? Is there a smaller service? Could you answer quick one-off tax questions there for a teeny fee? I don't know. But there's a shopping cart you can have now. It's a great question. And what I would say is maybe, maybe not. And the best way to figure it out is to survey your clients and ask them, what do you use to talk to people? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Instagram? Are you on WhatsApp? Like give them a list of the, all the options and, and survey them and see what they say and, and get on the platforms where your customers are, right? You want to be where your customers are because that's also where your prospects are. And then this is always the, this dilemma where you're constantly chasing because ultimately if people are using carts to sell things, that data has to get in the accounting system. And I don't see anything of a WhatsApp integration to zero or QuickBooks anywhere on, on the forecast in the next 18 months. So that's always gets messy, right? You're always playing chase, right? Your, yeah. your clients are using some app because they're going to use whatever app customers want to pay them in. And then that data is in that app. And now you got to figure out how to get in the accounting system. So somebody's going to have to play middleman to move that, that data around again. So I've got one last app story in my queue. And this is about gas taxes. Uh, this was on the... Bloomberg Tax Talking Tax Podcast. This episode is called The Gas Taxes Days Are Numbered, What's Next? And it features an interview with Sahas Kata, CEO of an automobile tech startup who is working with several states on developing new ways to tax vehicle use. And it opened my eyes to a, a problem in the world of tax that I, ha- I wasn't aware of, which is that as electric vehicle use is increasing, gas tax revenues are decreasing. And many, many states fund almost all of their road construction and maintenance with gas taxes. So there's this problem now. Gas taxes have been such an elegant solution to funding roads because it's usage-based. Mostly, the, the more gas you buy, the more tax you pay. And you know, generally, the more gas you buy, the more you're using the roads. So it's a very fair, equitable way. People like it as a way to uh, pay for roads. Because if you don't use them, you don't have to pay. And if you do use them, you do pay. And the electric vehicle thing is a problem because how do you tax the electricity that people are putting into their cars at home, right? You could do it with chargers on the road, but that's generally not how people charge up their cars. At a supercharger, they do it at home overnight. So this startup founder has a solution, which is app-based. So every resident who has a car would have to like download an app or connect their car to some government system that would then report their mileage to the government so they think they could be taxed, I guess, through some sort of like connected payment account. And I'm thinking to myself, like, can you imagine? Like, I just don't see that ever functioning, working. Do you think people are going to really want to allow the government to have an app that tracks their mileage? I mean, even if all it does is track their mileage, are they going to want to have an app on their phone that's monitoring where they're moving around that reports to the government? I, I think it's kind of already happening, but I could see, I've, I've heard some uh, some of these new Bitcoin technologies that are out there where they're like super, 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 super crazy micropayments. Mm-hmm. As you drive instantly, it would, every mile you do would siphon off a teeny micropayment to, you know, the Board of Transportation to build right, roads. Right. And then a little piece would be siphoned off to your insurance company to pay for your insurance, right? And so there'd be, maybe there's a environmental fee, right? And they, you're talking hundreds of thousands of cents, right? Being siphoned off, you know, but it would be almost like a real-time thing. Or like, for example, like a podcast. As people listen to the podcast, maybe 
some of the listeners' money would go to the host of the podcast and maybe some micro tiny amount would go to the podcast host and some tiny amount would go somewhere else. And so there's there's this concept of that starting to, to pop in, but that would be the only way to really do this. Yeah. But it is definitely a dilemma because this is what happened to the cigarette taxes, right? Right. That, as they increased the tax to discourage people from smoking, like smoking went down and the tax revenue went down too, right? But they need that money. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe we're overcomplicating it, right? Like maybe it should just be tied to like vehicle registration fees because- if I own a car, the road infrastructure needs to be there, even if I'm not using it as much as somebody else, right? Like, we, we does that make sense? Yeah, but it should go the opposite way as well then. Like, if, if I'm going to be charged using the road, like, every time I hit a pothole, I should get a little discount on my charge. Uh, there you go. Hey, you know, if they had an app connected to your car, they could actually track that, right? Hit a pothole, you get a little refund. All, all this is being tracked already. All these cars are smart cars now. Like, it's already being tracked. It's just sitting on Tesla servers, right? And GM servers. It's not, you know, but the government has access to all that if they really want. So remember last week we were talking about how Stripe introduced Treasury. And basically any app developer can just through an API start creating banks. So every app can be a bank. Yes. Well, apparently they weren't the only one that had this idea to do this. So another startup is out there called Unit. And Unit has been operating in stealth mode. But then this week they came out and they announced that they just raised $18.6 million. And essentially it allows third parties to create banking services, payment credit cards, checking accounts, cash advances, money transfers, all via API. So it's very, very similar to Stripe Treasury. So Stripe is not the only one getting out there in this game. There's other companies coming. Every, every app we open, I'm going to have an account. I'm going to lose track of all the money. Like I'm going to end up having cash everywhere. Little, little uh, pieces this is of it. Where, this is where... Having an app that's a little dashboard that shows you where all your uh, connected accounts are and you can see all your balances would be very handy. It would be very nice. Well, the holidays are coming up, David. Have you th- given thought to your away message? Are you going to just put up the standard thing or do you do like a fancy away message? Like, how, how do you do it? I tend to on holidays, it's pretty straightforward. I usually just tell people I'm going to be out and that's it. Usually, if I'm at a conference, I'll give a reason of I'll, I'll, it'll be more delayed. And I'm like, hey, I'm connected, but I'm going to be at a conference. I won't be able to reply. But very rarely do I take an extended amount of time off where I need to send somebody to somebody else. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to lean on the less is more. Well, you may want to consider upping your out-of-office message game. There's a great article on Accounting Today from Kyle Walters. He's a partner at LNH CPAs and Advisors. And he has some recommendations for how we as practitioners, uh, just really anybody, can improve their out-of-office email. Let's just, to start, think about the standard out-of-office email, which will tend to be something like OOO in the subject line. And I'm going to be out of the office, little opportunity to check my emails. I'll return your message as soon as possible. That's like the base level, right? And it's a huge missed opportunity. There's some certain things you need to do just at a minimum. You need to definitely provide the timeline, say when you're going to come back, but also, you know, who should people contact in your absence and also like set a positive tone. When you get one of these auto replies, it's kind of annoying. You sent an email and you had probably something that you needed. And now you're getting this reply that says like, I'm not gonna be able to help you for a while. So how can we up the positivity of this? So I have some thoughts, you know, maybe wish people happy holidays share a little bit about what you're up to and and tell people you know something nice about the holidays put in your christmas letter yeah exactly you could <laughs> link to your extended christmas letter um you could use it as a marketing opportunity you could promote 
a guide that you've written. Maybe you, you've got like a prospect emailing you or a client. If you've got a something that they might find interesting to read about like year-end tax strategies on your blog, link to it. It's an opportunity to promote something that you've you've done. So anyway, just just some thoughts. So I don't necessarily think this is a, a great, great idea just because I think we're kidding ourselves thinking people are really care about all the details about our office. If they need to get a whole, you have to have the the dates for sure. You have to have like who else to call, contact. You know, if it's an emergency, contact blah, 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 right? But all the rest of it, like nobody wants to read somebody's details that are on office. Nobody, nobody, nobody cares that much. It's, it's, it's out office. Great. They're not there. Move on. If I really need to get a hold of somebody, I might scan it quickly for who the other email address is to click on to send an email to that person. But I really don't think people are going to read these out office emails. You might want to try it, David. Use one of those um, tracking links that you like to use and promote something in your email because you'll find people click on it. Here's a tip I do recommend. If you have your cell phone number in your signature, Take it out of your out office emails <laughs> because people will still call you. That's like, true. That, that's that's actually the one that is the the tip I would give because I've had that happen. They get the out office and then they're like, "Well, I'll just call him if he's not he's not responding to emails." So take your phone number off as, offline as well. So we're approaching the end of the year, and everybody's been working remotely. And we have talked about well, not everybody, but a lot of people are working remotely. A lot more people, and we've talked about the state income tax nexus issues. And I'm seeing more stories about this. The Journal of Accountancy published a story called Some Teleworkers Could Be Hit With Surprise Tax Bills uh, that features some data from a survey uh, conducted for the AICPA by the Harris Poll. And this is really interesting about the general public's knowledge of this issue. So we should pay attention to it. Here's the stats. 55%, so just over half of respondents who worked remotely this year, aren't aware of the potential tax consequences of not changing their state tax withholding to reflect where they worked remotely. Nearly half don't realize that each state has its own laws regarding remote work. And less than half know that the number of days they spend working in a different state than where their workplace is could affect their tax liability. So like, there's a good chunk, like half of the country that doesn't realize that there's a significant tax impact um, on this. And uh, like one in eight of the total respondents could be potentially impacted by this, that they worked in a state other than where their worksite was located or a state other than their primary residence, one in eight of the total respondents. This is a big tax related issue for 2021 and probably a good idea to get ahead of it. You're going to be advising clients on this there are some things that they should definitely be doing before the end of the year to fix this. Wall Street Journal had some recommendations. They had an article called For Remote Workers, Time is Running Out to Fix State Tax Messes. So they interviewed some experts who made the following recommendations, probably good for your clients as well. If they want to avoid a state tax surprise, one thing they should do, your clients could do, is talk to their employer and make sure that they are assigned to the appropriate office and taxes are being withheld in that state. The importance of that is if if you're going to end up having a conflict with the state where you move from about the nexus, if you have your employer assigning you to the office in the new state, then that's a strong argument that you should be taxed in that state, right? But if you're still assigned to the old office, even if you're working remotely, it's hard to make the argument that you moved, right? Because your employer still has you listed in, like if you left New York and your employer still has you in New York, New York State's going to say, well, you, you know, you're you're assigned to that office in New York. Like, we're not going to let you out of this. Yeah, and, and I, think, I don't know if that's I mean, the correct example. A couple but, weeks ago, but I, I yeah. think there are some states that they have agreements 
like the tri-state area, I think between New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, I think they have some agreements on people living in one state, working in the other, but a lot of states don't. And like, you're going to go through this with California. Yeah. You're going to have to count how many days you went to California. I know you just went to California again last week for a couple of days. You have to count those days, even though you weren't even working in California, they're going to make you count those days. A lot of people aren't aware of this and it's an opportunity for accountants and bookkeepers to reach out and you should create a bunch of blog posts. I just moved from California to Arizona. How do I handle my taxes? Like, People are going to Google this stuff. Yeah. Another point is help your clients make sure they're domiciled in the correct state. Each state has their own rules. Uh, So I'm sure like tax pros are on top of this, but it would be better to do it now, obviously, because there's only so much time left at the end of the year. But uh, I'm thinking about this from like a marketing perspective, like you said, David, it's create content around this to help your clients in the states where you operate, make them aware of this, send this to them, send this to your email list. And that way you can start the conversations now, you can help them create a lot of value for them rather than after the fact when it's too late to do anything about it. Well, lots more we could talk about, David, but I think we're up at the end of our time for today. You got anything else we want to hit on? No, other than, uh, you know, this concept of these super apps with the cash app by Square. <laughs> They've launched their own clothing line now. <laughs> if it, and it's uh, if you go to cashbycashapp.com, you can... Uh, Order your own clothing line, like maybe zero, maybe, you know, maybe all the Cloud Accounting apps should do this. And it's super cool, fashionable clothing. Like every app should do this now. You are understating how amazing this clothing is. It looks like 80s jumpsuits. <laughs> okay. Did you click down and see the prices? No, no. Oh, like 250 bucks for a sweatsuit. Super That's crazy amazing. prices, but you get 25% off if you pay with the Cash App. It's very sneaky. Oh, you know what? I almost forgot. We got another voicemail and I want to make sure we play that uh, on the way out. Awesome. Let's jump in. Hi there, David and Blake. My name is Sheila Kilbride, and I'm calling from Mountain View, California. I'm being brave and leaving a voicemail. First, you two are two guys I'd love to have a beer with. I really enjoy listening to you. So are you going to Scaling New Heights? Because that would be one place where it could happen. Second, I like that you're balanced. The reason I listen to you is because you're balanced. And I tend not to be on media a lot because it's really crazy on both sides. I like that you're both really approachable. I think there's something about you two where you're able to um, voice opinions on controversial subjects, but I think because you're so balanced, we all can hear it. So I really appreciate that. And yeah, I just get so many great ideas. I'm in the space and I actually found you because I was doing research on a competitor and your blog article and video came up. So that's how I first discovered you. And then I subscribed to it. So yeah, it's great work. And I love your podcast. Oh my God. And I love, um, you guys are funny too. And I don't think you're trying to be, but when um, David said, you know, millennials are very needy. And then Blake said, can you give me a hug? I thought that was really funny. So thanks so much and hope to have a beer with you. Bye-bye. That's actually a great call from Sheila. And what's what's encouraging about this, you could tell Sheila's a little bit nervous like calling, but anybody can do it. Get out of your comfort zone. Give us a call. Leave a voicemail. We'll play it. Yeah. We got a number. Sheila got through it. She was okay. 
The number is 202-695-1040. That is 202-695-1040. The number goes straight to voicemail. It's a Google Voice number. You can leave us a message. Try to keep it to about uh, two minutes at most. It will cut you off if you go over. And uh, we'll listen to it. And we will probably play it on the air. I love hearing from our listeners. I love your feedback, uh, especially when it's something that we miss the mark on. If there's something we don't know, you know, help us out. Like I, my favorite thing about doing this podcast is how much I learn doing it. And we're not going to get it right every time. And so I appreciate uh, those on the front lines telling us what's going on. Yeah. And uh, we won't be too controversial. We do try to stay balanced on this. <laughs> Just sometimes headlines are, it's fun to have a fun, shocking headline. I always think it's a uh, very attention grabbing. Well, David, if people want to connect with you online, what's the best place for them to do that? The easiest way is just to Google David Leary or I'm David Leary on the Twitters and the LinkedIn's and the Facebooks. If you do contact me on LinkedIn, just say not a bot. So I know you're a listener and not uh, a spammer. David is so proud that he has finally built up his search engine optimization to the point where Dennis Leary is not the first result for David Leary. I don't know. I'm just not knocked off the page anymore. I think I'm in the top couple of results. You're in the top page. That's good. The top 10. And if you want to connect with me, I am Blake Oliver, CPA at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. Until next week, David, stay safe and healthy and enjoy your Zoom calls. Bye, everyone. Bye. Time for the classifieds. I want to tell you about a new workflow solution called Bacotech. Bacotech is a cloud solution that puts CPAs in the middle of their clients' data. Bacotech gathers clients' data and delivers it to CPAs in real time through one login, enabling CPAs to make adjustments to tax returns and client accounting issues as they happen, not at for year end. Bacotech helps CPAs provide their clients with the proactive services they need and increases the firm's efficiency and leads to working less overtime and busy season. To learn more about Baco Tech, head over to bacotech.com. Looking to radically increase productivity as a cloud accountant? Introducing Client Hub's Frictionless Workflow, a unique combination of internal workflow seamlessly blended with client tasks and communications. See how a frictionless experience across your team and your clients will save you hours of time. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app. Enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, truly frictionless workflow. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.